Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I just say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, we've got a great hour planned. It's time for the Red Words of Jesus with a very special guest, and that is none other than 007, Pastor Justin Jepson, for the whole hour. Rosie, come on. What are you, what, what, the, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> She's not even paying attention to me. Justin, welcome. Doo, 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 doo. I oh. can do my own intro. Here we oh, go. No. There we go. Now we're back in the groove. Justin, we're going to look at Matthew 6 today. Thanks for saying yes to this invitation. Yeah, well, thanks for asking me. Yeah, I've, yeah for the whole hour. It's, yeah. Uh, it's an honor. Yeah, you used to be here on campus all the time. Now you've got a few other... Uh, things going on in your life, do share what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm still on campus a couple of days a week teaching yep. as an adjunct. Um, so it's great to still get to be part of what God's doing here in that way. Um, but a little over a year ago, I left my full-time role here to go on staff with a ministry called Strategic Renewal. And that is a, a ministry that seeks to ignite the heart of the church towards a fresh intimacy with God uh, to help equip the church through pastors and the disciples there to build a culture of prayer, mm-hmm. for the, to see the church become a house of prayer for the nations. It's a great ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm really grateful to be mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah, and I go there often to the website because it's a great place to to reflect and pray and to get my mind in the right place. Yeah. You absolutely. can do that at strategicrenewal.com. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> so because you are all about prayer in your ministry, I think we're going to look today at prayer in Matthew 6, starting, mm-hmm. I think, in around verse 5. Yeah. Verse 5 through 19. This is going to be a great, great hour. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. How would you like to um, cut this one up? Yeah, well, I mean, part of the reason why you know, I picked um, a passage that's traditionally been called the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, for you that are, you know, for our listeners, that probably conjures up a lot of, you know, maybe different images and associated with different experiences. You know, certainly if you grew up in uh, some type of liturgical tradition in the church, which I did, uh, the Lord's Prayer were uh, just words that I wrotely memorized and it was almost kind of like a some type of spiritual incantation that I would s- just say but I never really truly understood the meaning behind the words and actually what Jesus was intended to t- tending to teach when he shared them in this context and I can say um I I honestly can say it this way I feel like I really didn't start to learn what it really meant to follow Jesus until I learned how to pray like Jesus and mm-hmm. that's what this passage is all about it's really learning how to pray the way Jesus himself prayed. Yeah, Justin, how long after you started reciting the Lord's Prayer was it until you realized, hang on a second, I'm quoting scripture. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. How long? Decades? Decade well, or so? At least, at least that. I, I would probably say, I mean, I think I, I realized it was actually, you know, quoting scripture when I was, you know, in high school, but I'd been reciting it since I was, you know, in like first or second grade. Totally, yeah. Yeah, as was I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't until probably college years where I realized, well, Jesus didn't say, 
hey, here's what you pray. Hey, say, just repeat these words. Right. He was saying pray like this. It's, it, it, he's showing us a model for prayer. Exactly. Although the words in this prayer model are spectacular. Oh, they're incredible. They're so, the best. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's indeed, I think, great power. Obviously, you're praying scripture right. um, by just praying these words, but it's also more than that. Like you said, it's a model. It's a certain rhythm. It's not just words to recite, but it's a rhythm to embrace and to imitate mm-hmm. from, from Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Justin Jepson is my guest for the hour. We're in our Red Word series. So the words of Jesus, and we're in Matthew chapter 6, and starting in verse 5, Justin, I'll read a little bit. Okay. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Yeah, so, I, you know, these these words here, um, it's important to talk a little bit of the context before we actually get into the content of the Lord's Prayer. So when Jesus says in, in verse 9, pray then like this, um, he's first referring back to two ways not to pray. And, uh, and of course, this passage is seated uh, within the overall context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which I like to summarize. It's really kingdom living 101. <laughs> and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a child of God, to be a citizen of, of his kingdom. And, and prayer is, is, is a central piece of that. And so, you know, one of the ways that you can kind of look at this and it says, and when you pray, and, and I love how Jesus, you know, when you pray, he's insinuating and expecting that we pray, Right. Um, but he says you must not like be must not be like the hypocrites, and what he's I think essentially what we could sum up here he's he, what he's saying not to be like he's saying this is a group of people um, that are embodying a wrong motive for prayer. So when he says for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, and then he says that they may be seen by others. So uh, essentially, yeah, they may have a glance on God, but their gaze and focus is who's watching me mm-hmm. um, and how are people perceiving me? I have a spiritual reputation to uphold. And um, and I think if we're all honest, we've all been there and are there. And we have often a, a mixture, whole host of mixture of motives when we pray. Um, but but Jesus is, is goes on to say, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So he doesn't shy away from saying there's actually a reward in prayer. And he's saying, hey, if you're going after the praise of people, go for it. But you're not going to have the eye or the ear of my father. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, would, that beha- would that behavior have been considered praiseworthy in the community? Would people have looked upon that with a- admiration, although not in God's eyes, but in community size where they go, ooh, look at those religious yeah. people yes. praying on the corner. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they would, I think in a sense, again, if viewing this um, this section in, uh, within the overall context of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus is saying that the the entrance into and the, the life of the kingdom actually belongs to those whom you'd least expect and those whom would, would be least deserving of it. So, you know, in the, in the, kind of the popular eye of the public at that time, they would be looking to people like the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. 
who, you know, Jesus, um, you know, minces no words in talking about them later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23 in particular. But what he's doing is he's saying that this, this idea, this, this type of prayer and this access to God isn't just for this religious elite that, you know, maybe the people, the person that you would expect to be a person of prayer, whatever that is, you know, a praying person and they're holier and they maybe glow in the dark or something like that. And they, they levitate when they pray or, you know, or they have some special connection with God. Um, he, he's saying, no, 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 that you, you, it's not just for those people, this, this type of prayer, the way that I pray, the way that I communicate myself with the father is actually available to you. Now, it's also important to know that Jesus isn't necessarily, he's not condemning prayer in public. Um, Jesus himself prayed in public, you know, and prayed around others. You know, and the fact that we have actually his prayers written down is because he prayed them aloud and his disciples heard it and they wrote them down and they wrote it down. But he's praying uh, what's going on inside. What's the internal motive? Is it to be seen by others or is it to be, uh, is, it, is, is it to have a, a deeper relationship with, with God? Mm-hmm. So... And, and I think that's why he says, you know, should I say to you, receive the reward? But then he says, but when you pray, and here's an interesting passage. He says, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, now, one of the things that, you know, sometimes gets lost in our, in our English translations here, when it, every time we see the word you, it's actually in the pl- plural. So, you know, I don't have the geographical credibility to say y'all if you're from the <laughs> South, you know, or the East mm-hmm. Coast, use guys or something like yeah. that. But, you know, he's essentially saying, hey, you, you all, when you pray. And, uh, you know, often it says when you go into your room, this is actually a communal context of prayer. You know, um, for those that love the, you know, the, the, the old King James version of closet, mm-hmm. um, right? Sometimes we think of a prayer closet. We think of just myself and God in a time of prayer. And it can include that, but that's actually not what this passage I believe is teaching. So that word room uh, actually means a storeroom or inner room. And uh, it's actually only used a few times in the New Testament. And it's it's a better way to think about it. We think of the disciples gathering in the upper room, or when you think about the, the apostles with a number of other uh, disciples and the men and women, the 150 that were gathered at the day of Pentecost, that's the type of room um, that that he's referring to here. So he's actually talking about a public expression of prayer, but now he's saying you don't have to do that out in the public eye. You can close the door, and your father, who knows what's going on in season secret, will it will indeed uh, reward you. So Justin, this could, if we understand this passage in context, this is talking about corporate prayer. Exactly, the gathering of the community to pray. Just don't do it in a way that's showy. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, when we get into the Lord's Prayer, we'll notice that all the personal uh, pronouns are plural. Yeah. There's no I or me in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. It's, it's our and us. What about 10 people in a restaurant at Bible study praying before the meal comes? Is that showy? Uh, I mean, uh, here's the thing. It can be, right? You know, if if, uh, if <laughs> I stand up over my bacon and egg and say, oh, thou was the greatest father of the most holiest <laughs> name above, you know, yeah. and I'm causing a scene, like, yeah, of course. But um, I've experienced it could be really be a humble, effective public witness as True. well. Look and, at those look at those men praying, right? Yeah, look yeah. at those men praying. Or I've had it, you know, where a service come up and say, I noticed that you were praying. Um, you know, I and then they'll start talking about something of some of their journey, your faith, mm-hmm. and it will open up and then it becomes a conversation of, Hey, well, how could we pray for you? And then we can invite them into that. Mm-hmm. Justin Jepson is my guest for our Red Word series. We're in Matthew six, so we're gonna talk about prayer today. Justin knows a lot about prayer. If you have a question you'd like to ask him. Uh, about prayer 
or maybe you have a question about being a secret agent or why is your hair so perfect, you can ask any of these questions. You can text them over to 877-933-2484, and we'll be right back. love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. back with Justin Jepson. So glad to have him here in studio. My friend and I are talking today about Matthew chapter 6 and prayer. And during the break, Justin, you said something awfully interesting about the word closet, prayer closet, shows up in the King James Version only. Tell me more about what that would mean. What is the closet? Is that the closet in your house yeah. that you go to? <laughs> That yeah, your, that your office is in. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I call it. It's a very small space in my house. If you go into our house, but yeah, when Jesus says, "But when you pray, go into your," in, in my translation, I'm reading from the ESV, and most others will say "room" or "inner room." Um, the King James version, the 1611 version, mm-hmm. so the old school version, was the only version that actually uses the word closet. Um, but if we look in modern day, we think of a closet. We think of a place where you know our 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 shirts and shoes and whatever else go in. Um, but in that day, like when you look at the context of a king and a castle, a king's closet was actually um, a, a pretty large space, um, you know, that was, it, that actually could hold probably 20 or 30 people. And it was actually an extreme honor to be invited into the king's closet because that's where he would meet with his most trusted dignitaries and, mm. and, and friends and family. And so kind of like a inner sanctum sort of, VIP room. Exactly. That'd be like the green room. It's like the, the green, yeah. it's like the, yeah, like the all, all access pass. And so, you know, when you think about that, um, that brings a whole different context to prayer. And again, you know, most often I think in the reason why this passage, I think is so important for us today and in, in, especially in the Western world in 2023, when we think of prayer, I, I immediately, my instinctive reflect, you know, my reflex is, oh, I think of what I do what I say to God or my, my relationship with God. I think just mean God. And yes, absolutely. It includes that. But most of the teaching surrounding prayer, uh, and this is no, this is no exception um, in the new Testament actually deal more with, with the communal expression of mm-hmm. prayer. It's a paradigm shift for and many. It is a paradigm shift, yeah. you know? So, and I think and it's, we're not speaking badly against the private time in a closet. Not at all. Cause Jesus did that. He did that too. He went time. away and right. while it was dark and no one was there and, Right. Absolutely. We're just looking at the context in Matthew 6 in this exactly. passage, exactly. which is important. Yep. So in other words, let's do plenty of both. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's where when someone says, well, what's more important, my, you know, private prayer or public prayer? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. have found it to be the truth. They, they, actually, they actually are meant to go together. They actually work um, like synergistically of mm-hmm. like the more I pray uh, by myself, the more I want to pray with other people. Or I find myself really dry in my times alone with the Lord. When I pray with other people, it energizes me to go back into the Lord's presence. So they really are meant to yeah, go. They work together, work together well, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you pray, do not keep 
on babbling like pagans. What were the pagans saying? What was the babble they were saying? Yeah, so you know? um, and, and if you know if you're just kind of now tuning in, we first talked about the first way that Jesus says to not praise, to not be like the hypocrites. So he he addresses their wrong motive, wanting to be seen sure. by others. Now Jesus is is addressing, I think, what you could call the wrong method. Okay. In, in terms of how do I go about praying? When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily specify, you know, what the words are, but this is a, you know, the idea and the concept of prayer wasn't just a purely, you know, something that just happened within Judaism. This was a, you know, the idea of us, of a human appealing to some form of higher deity. Um, it's It's as old as creation. And so, uh, they were well aware, and Jesus' disciples were well aware of, of of other pagan deities and gods that they had certain phrases that they would uh, try to repeat and to, and to intensify. And they had this sense of, well, I I need to get this deity's this god's attention, and mm-hmm. if I can just say uh, enough, long enough, and just keep repeating the same things over and over again, I'll hopefully get this deity's ear, and then I will get them to do what I'm asking them to do on my behalf. So. You know, I, and again, in the same sense, Jesus isn't condemning the mere repetition of prayer because we see in the garden, uh, Matt, Jesus said, says that he actually went back three different times and prayed the same thing mm-hmm. to the Father. But this is a type of thing where it's almost um, like this litany of repeated phrases. Okay. And uh, and so I don't and know. it's clearly more babble than anything. It is clear. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, I think babble is a good way to talk about it. It's really yeah. nonsense and it's really... You know, they're not actually thinking about the words that you're actually saying. It's a, it's it's more as long as I can just get the words right and say the right thing the right mm-hmm. way enough times, then then I'll then I'll be heard. But mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, don't don't be like that. And so that's why he says, don't don't uh, do not be like them. And then here we get a, at least a, at least the mo, or at least the method behind of why they're doing what they're doing. He said, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So. There's a sense in which when you say don't pray like the Gentiles, they were trying to get some deity to meet their need. They were in need and they're and in lack, and they realized that I, they were in a position where they couldn't do anything about it on their own power, and so they were appealing to their to their God, to their deity, uh, to do to work on their behalf. Hmm. Just because we're on this topic of which sounds like babble, question a listener wants to know is about chants that are done by monks, those kinds of things. I don't know what they say or what they do, so I, I have to step out of this conversation because I don't sure, know. Sure, sure. But, um, well, you know, often it depends on, you know, the the type of monastery or the type of monk, sure. at least what I'm familiar with. Often what's um, the type of chant uh, is, there, it's it's melodic and it has a sense, It's it's and often it's actually just a, a recitation of scripture. They're yeah. just reciting scripture. So do it all day long. So do it all day long. Yeah. And, and actually, um, you know, there's a sense that when the Bible tells us to meditate, there's just kind of the sense of murmur of like this rumin- rumination in your mind, you're turning it over your mind, but you're also kind of speaking it um, out loud, mm-hmm. but you're almost kind of mumbling to yourself. But that mumbling, the substance of it is the word, okay. it is, is truth. So I would say, you know, it, what we're actually saying does matter. So both mm-hmm. the internal, the heart of what we're saying matters, but both the words that we express uh, do matter in the way that we express them. Mm-hmm. Justin Jepson is my guest, and we're in the Red Word series. So you open up your Bible, and if you have a red letter edition, you see words in red that was spoken by Jesus himself. And that's what we're focusing on today. We're in Matthew chapter 6, 
starting in verse 5. We've read through verse 8, and I think it's time now, Justin, to go into verse 9 that says, this then is how you should pray. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, so we're, we're ready now. I thought you were. I, I thought we were gearing up for a break, but no, well, we're no, good. I'm, okay, we're going to break in a few minutes. But we got some I think time. We should get started. So, so when Jesus says, "Pray then like this," um, the the Lord's prayer, as it's as it has been, you know, called or, or categorized, it, you know, appears in two places here in Matthew six nine through thirteen, but also uh, in Luke eleven one through two. And what's interesting about this. Uh, is in a Luke's version, you know, here this uh, comes up in the context of Jesus's sermon, but in Luke's version, it comes up in the context of a response to a question that the disciples asked of Jesus. And I think it's really important to notice that, or to observe that the only question we have recorded in the gospels of Jesus's disciples asking of Jesus to teach them how to do something, it was here in Luke 11, Lord, would you, it says when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had finished, one of his disciples came and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And then what, how Jesus answered that question was this. Now, one of the reasons why we know Jesus wasn't just saying, say these words, because if you compare Matthew's version with Luke's versions, the words are different, but the pattern's the same. Mm -hmm. And so, but if you think about even that for the few moments, that if you could ask Jesus to teach you how to do anything, what would it be? Jesus' disciples, they could have, you know, maybe they did ask him, but we don't have recorded in scripture. I mean, they could have asked Jesus, teach us how to walk on water. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Jesus, teach yeah. us, you know, how to still the storm, teach yeah. us how to raise the dead, teach us how to, um, you know, feed a, a crowd of 20,000 with the little boys' Lunchables, teach us yeah. how to, you know, think of all these different things. And I've come to believe, and I'm coming more and more convinced that when we can learn to pray the way Jesus prayed, we'll have the power to live as Jesus lived. Amen. So the disciples noticed a direct connection between the life of prayer that Jesus modeled in practice to the outward expression of life and ministry that they were witnessing and that they were invited into and got to be a part of. So this, in a sense, I mean, this is holy ground that we get to enter into the very way that Jesus himself prayed, which is why it's really important when Jesus says, pray then like this, I think he actually meant it. In fact, in the original language, it's in what's called the present imperative, which is the form of a command. So Jesus wasn't giving us a suggestion or I think giving us an option. He was saying, pray like this. And, uh, and that does, wasn't mean to be rigid or it wasn't meant to be, you know, to, to contain or to, you know, limit our creativity or imagination in prayer. Uh, this, this form of prayer, this, this, this model of prayer is really the container for any expression of, of biblical prayer. So, so when Jesus says, pray then like this, I believe if we take him at his word and we actually practice this ourselves, we too can actually pray the very way that Jesus himself prayed. And when that happens, as that's happening, and we never grow out of that, we never mature out of that. You know, you said, I, I'm a, I know a lot about prayer just to, you know, level the playing field. I am not a prayer expert. <laughs> I know you're not. You know, but um, you study the subject though a great deal. Yeah. So that idea of um, I'm just I'm passionate about it because I've I've struggled with it so much, but I've also seen the power of it. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, learning how to pray this way. So um, the first thing that we'll say before I know we need to go to break in a moment. Jesus begins with two words that I think would have absolutely dropped the jaws of his listeners: our Father, our Father, mm. and. 
it wasn't that other rabbis and other religious leaders sometimes addressed God as Father, but the way Jesus did it here, and we'll see in we'll a few moments, yeah. is, is, is revolutionary. We'll pick that up after the break. Justin Jepson is my guest. We're in Matthew 6. Get out your Bibles. We'll be right back. We are having a great hour with Justin Jepson. We're in our Red Word series, so any words that are read in your Red Letter Edition Bible are words that have been spoken by Jesus. And we're in Matthew 6, talking about prayer today. My guest is Justin Jepson. You can learn more about him at strategicrenewal.com. But he's a familiar voice. You've heard him plenty on this show. Always glad to have him back. All right, Justin, let's move into the uh, the big game here, the the... The headline passages of this <laughs> of this chapter. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, and uh, moving to the actual content of the what's what we've been called the Lord's Prayer. Really, this is the way Jesus Himself prayed. Mm-hmm. So, verse nine, He says, "Pray then like this," and He He begins um, again with this revolutionary phrase, "Our Father." And that just rocked everyone's world, didn't and it? And it rocked everyone's world. The idea that I can address God as Father, and I think what's so. Uh, counterintuitive to G- Jesus's audience at this point is, wait a second, that, that is a term, that's a familial term. That's a relational term. That's a term of endearment. That's a term of, of identity, of belonging, which I think has a lot of important implications for the, the role and the priority of prayer. Because um, I think, you know, often if you were to, you know, pull a room right now, you know, or even to pull our audience right now, what, what is prayer? How would we define prayer? We'd probably probably get a lot of, I know our, our listeners are incredible, so we get a lot of great wisdom, but there'd probably be a lot of differences of yes, what, there would. right? Yes. Um, but if I begin, here's the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus says, when when he says pray this way and you begin with saying our father, uh, one of the implications is that prayer ultimately first and foremost isn't about us. Prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. And you think about a father, the father is the one who is the initiator in the life of a family or in the life of a, ch- of a child. And so prayer, I love Eugene, Eugene Peterson put it this way. He said that prayer is answering speech. Um, we're the responders. We're never the initiators. God's the initiator. And so, uh, and, and secondly, not only is God the initiator, but um, the primary aspect of prayer, of what prayer is, it's about a relationship. It's about intimacy with God. And, and, and so when Jesus says, you know, that the father who sees in secret will reward you, well, what's the reward of prayer? Really, the reward of prayer is, is him. It's, it's, it's the relationship with God as our father. And so prayer ultimately begins not about who I am and the needs that I have. It begins about who God is mm-hmm. and what he's revealed about himself. So, um, but what's so interesting about this, when he says our father, he says in heaven, and what this is doing is it's marrying these these two incredible truths that we need to always have, uh, I think, in the forefront of our minds that our Father, He is intimate, He's near, He's personal, He's close, but He's also infinitely great. 
and beyond all comprehension. And so, you know, theologians talk about God's imminence that He is that He is near, uh, near than even the the, the breath that we are, that we're breathing right now. But He's also transcendent. In other words, He's He's above and beyond and outside of everything. He's completely sovereign. And so, but both of those things, he's our father in heaven. So the fact that Jesus is just beautifully summarizing a revelation of who the God is, the, the, of, of the God of, of who he is and that we get to pray to, that we get to commune with, that we get to have, have relationship with, that we get to be in the family of. And so if I begin prayer there with a revelation of who God is and I reverence him, and, and you know, Bill, we've talked about, I'm, I'm a practitioner. So uh, what does this actually look like in real everyday life to pray this way? Well, begin your prayers from the foundation of worship. Begin your prayer. When you pray, focus first on who God is and how he's made himself known to us in his word and praise him and thank him. And so, Justin, is it important who starts a conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, you think about even the fact of how I, I'm sitting in this seat today. I mean, I was here by invitation, right? You started the <laughs> you started the conversation, so to speak. And usually, whoever starts the conversation tends to drive the conversation, tends to lead the conversation, or controls it, or controls yeah. it. Yeah. And so, and again, um, it, that's why when you think about prayer, I am I'm entering into the posture. If God is my Father, what are the implications? Means if I can actually call God my Father, our Father. Mm-hmm. Then that means what is that true? What does that say about who I am? Yeah, I'm his child. You're beloved. I am. That's my favorite. One of my favorite words. Doesn't yeah. you know. I am his beloved child. And I mean, you you want him to control the conversation? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll quiet. I'll be quiet now. No, that's great. That's, <laughs> don't don't be quiet. Mm. Well, and to keep in mind too, this you know when Jesus says, "Remember, there's no um, there's no I or me in the Lord's prayer. It's our and us." So Jesus primarily, not that this can't be applied individually, personally, you know, you know by yourself and the Lord, but he's essentially saying, Hey, when you all pray together, pray like this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so our father in heaven. So again, he's, 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 uh, unspeakably close, but he's also infinitely great and beyond comprehension. And then he says this hallowed be your name. Um, you know, hallowed, we don't say that word very often anymore, right? How to hallow something, but you know, some translations say holy. That's essentially what it's getting at here. Holy is your name. So again, you think about the names of God and how God has made himself known. Jesus' audience would have conjured up the name of God. You're talking about Yahweh? Yahweh? The I am that I am? I can actually call him Father? And so he's bringing these things together, again, um, of this intimate transcendence of God. Holy is your name. And a name, you know, today, is we just kind of designate a person. You know, it's Rosie and Justin or 007 or whatever, you know, Bill. But a name was essentially the container of one's character and all of who they are and what they have done. So when Jesus says, holy is your name, we're proclaiming the holy name of God, that there's no other name like his. So um, so again, this part of prayer, um, this first section here um, is all about who God is. It's about reverencing him. Um, and, and now we move into really what's the first kind of petition or like to call a response and Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, now, in Matthew's gospel, uh, he's writing specifically to a Jewish audience. And the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and those phrases used interchangeably, is, uh, is one of the most repeated phrases in Matthew's gospel. And speaking to a Jewish audience, they were anticipating a Messiah. They're anticipating a coming kingdom. 
So they, they would have gotten excited about this phrase, this idea of thinking of future, and it includes that. But he's saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the God who is outside of time and transcends all things, whose will is perfectly done in heaven, we actually, through our prayers, can actually partner with God to bring about the realization of his plans and of his desires here on earth. But what's amazing about this part of prayer, though, is the humility that it ought to create within us. Because I, I like one pastor, a mentor of mine said that if we're really going to pray, God, I want your kingdom to come, what we're really also praying is that every other kingdom must go. If we're praying we want your will to be done, then what we're actually praying is that every other will must bow a knee. And fast forward, you know, uh, a couple years from this moment, and we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that place of crushing, essentially modeling this for us when he would say, God, Father, right? And in that time, and that he said, Abba. There's another version. Mark, Mark's uh, version of the prayer of Garden of Gethsemane uses the word Abba, this term of endearment, dearest daddy. If there's any other way, let this cup pass mm. for me. But he says, nevertheless. That's so beautiful. Not my will, mm. but your will be done. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, th- this is evidence that this is exactly how Jesus himself prayed, right? And so, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, real practically, what, what does this look like for you as an individual, as you're praying in a small group? This is a time for you to pray, to, to, to confess, to repent, uh, to turn away from anything that is out of alignment with God's will, way, and kingdom, and then to bring yourself underneath, in a fresh way, underneath his submission, his lordship, his loving rule and authority as your father in heaven over your life. Mm-hmm. Justin, I, got, I, I still got stuck on hallowed be thy name. So if I can just oh, go sure. back to that yeah. for a minute. Oh, because yeah. Today, I was reading in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 15, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Mm. Amen. Mm. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He lives in unapproachable that's, light. Yeah. Hallowed be thy name. Yeah. And that's the God Whoa. that Jesus is saying we can call our Father. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and that's why it's so important. I mean, if you ever feel dry or dull in, in your life of prayer, it's, it, we need a fresh recognition of who God is. And that's what's so beautiful about, about Jesus' model prayer and him teaching his disciples how to pray that if we can constantly keep in the forefront of our mind who God is. And that's why I would say this way, to the degree in which we pray the way Jesus prayed will be to the degree in which we pray scripture. Yes. And so uh, so you could take that passage right there that you just read and have a, have a time of worship from that passage and just praise God for how he's made himself known to mm-hmm. us, right? Um, but then of praise course- Praise him for that. Praise him for that. Yeah. But then if, if we truly have a vision of God's holiness- that'll produce humility because then we will see ourselves in light of who he is. You know, it's like, the you know, in, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated upon, you know, the throne and the train of Israel filled the temple with the, you know, in the, in the, in the, the, the seraphim, the, the burning angels crying back for holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This incredible moment of revelation, how, how does he respond? He doesn't say, hey, wow, look at that. He goes, woe is me. <laughs> I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a land of unclean lips that it, we, we will submit and we will surrender and say, I am not like that. 
but yet you have shown and, and chosen to, to, to make yourself known to me <laughs> and, and made a way through your son uh, to actually be in fellowship, to be in relationship with you. And so that's why the New Testament identity you know, statement here for Christians is saints, holy ones, yeah. of course. If we're praying and serving and following and being and our disciple of a holy God, then we all the more to a greater degree will become like he is. You know, which is why Jesus actually says, you must be holy as I am holy, as he says earlier in chapter five of the Sermon on the Mount. So, but really, if you if you take the the, the Lord's Prayer, um, you could kind of summarize it this way. So in our ministry, Strategic Renewal, we like to summarize it this way. The first half of the word, the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all God word. It's focused on who he is, his will, his way, his kingdom. And we like to express it and summarize it this way. He is worthy. He's worthy. But the second half of the Lord's Prayer is actually all manward. It's towards us. You notice there's a change now. It moves from uh, it moves from who God is to now he's saying, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation. It's a focus on um, how God, we can trust him to meet the needs that we have. And so, in other words, um, the first half is he is worthy. The second half of the Lord's Prayer, we could summarize it this way, we are needy. Yeah. <laughs> or to put it this way, we, we are seeking God's face for who he is. And then secondly, we're trusting his hand. And, uh, and, and that's why I love when Jesus moves in verse 11 to give us this day our daily bread. You know, he, he, he actually seats requests after having a time of worship and after surrendering afresh to God mm-hmm. in his rule and reign. And, and that completely changes the way that we pray about what we need to pray about and how we pray. And that we'll do it with a greater faith and being reminded and worshiping the God who it is that we're praying to and communing with. But we'll also do it with a, with a greater sense of humility and integrity because our requests now are going to greater to be in alignment with what Jesus wants and his will. That's why I said, if you ask anything, the Father in my name, it'll be done for you. You know, right? Well, that's just not a blanket statement. We can just say in Jesus' name, you know, uh, provide a, a Porsche, you know, for me to drive on the way home or something or fill my bank account or whatever. It, it, we will actually come into alignment with God's will. We're in that time of prayer of worshiping him and surrendering to him. He actually um, gives us a revelation of what's on his heart. And so we want what he wants. And then, then we actually can pray that into action. Uh, which is incredible. So, um, you know, and a lot of people will often say, well, why pray if God's going to do what he wants anyway? All right. In a sense, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. God is going to do what he wants anyway. But I heard one pastor put it this way, and this is kind of an evocative statement. He said, I don't know, understand this completely, but God, for some reason in this sovereign wisdom has hinged his activity here on earth to the prayers of his people. It's not that God cannot do it, but he will not. Because why? Because he wants to do it with us. And uh, that's, so the, when you think about the effectiveness and the power of prayer, um, that, that mindset, you know, for me, it shifted everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if I begin with my requests and I begin with my daily bread, I begin with my needs and I begin, I'm going to miss the face of God and I'm going to miss and probably pray with the wrong motive <laughs> and right. probably play, pray with the wrong method. The two things that Jesus just talked about what not to do before he tells us, Here's what to do. Here's how to pray. Mm-hmm. Where did I pray? We're the Red Word series with Justin Jepson. We're in Matthew 6, talking about the Lord's Prayer. After a short break, we're going to have more on this topic, which is really amazing. If you've missed any of this today, do head to the podcast. 
hear it from the beginning. You, I believe you'll be very blessed. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Justin, explain to me how I never get tired of talking about this. Explain to me. You can't, can you? No, no I, I, so. I just, I, an hour's not an, I mean, I'm it probably is for our listeners, but for me, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> There's so much more here. We're talking to Justin Jepson as we're in our Red Word series. So if you have a red letter edition Bible or you have an online Bible, you can just click a little switch that says, turn the words of Jesus red. You can understand what we're talking about because we're in Matthew 6, talking about the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. We started our conversation in verse 5, and we're getting pretty close to getting through the actual Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, uh, you know, we've covered so far the first half of it. Again, we summarized it, you know, that it's, it's talking about the, the worthiness of God, um, seeking his face for who he is, uh, wanting his will, way, and kingdom for our lives really moving from a sense of reverence to our response of that. But now Jesus gets to the point, uh, part of prayer that I think, you know, where at least for myself growing up, usually gets taught as I mean, it's kind of the leading aspect of prayer, which is requests. Give me, help me, give me, help me. Right, can you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so, you know, yeah, help, help, help. God, I need, I need, I need. And, and, and yes, those yeah. are prayers that God loves and hears and knows, but I love how Jesus, you know, just early, he, he reminded us for your father knows what you need even before you ask him. And so, uh, but I can tell you, once you spend time worshiping the father and surrendering to his kingdom and to his will, I will end up praying about things that are on God's heart, including the things that are in my heart, but I end up praying about things that I didn't know I needed to pray about. Hmm. And, uh, but what's so incredible about Jesus, I mean, it, it would be just like, just like him to be this, this brilliant when it comes to prayer. If you think about, you know, the question that often gets asked at the end of a Bible study or, you know, at the uh, end of a gathering, does anyone have any prayer requests, right? And and then usually there's a long line of, you know, sometimes a lot of sharing. Mm -hmm. If you could categorize all the requests that maybe you've ever brought or shared, uh, I, I think you could do it in probably two different categories. It could be resource needs. Here's what I lack. And God, I need you to meet that need. Or it'd be relationship needs. Resource needs or relationship needs. So all of requests, I think you could put into one of those two categories. Is health and resource needs? Yeah. That's in, that's I would say health. Yeah. Health would be a resource need, you know, giving us something that we need. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Um, So daily. So that's why when you think of that, you know, say, where do I get that? You say, give us a stay, our daily bread. Give us what we need for today to survive. And, and here this, you know, material, physical needs do matter. Yes, they do. Absolutely matter. And so this isn't when Jesus is talking about daily bread, he's talking about the things that we need for daily sustenance. And and ultimately, I love that it says, give us this day our daily bread for that idea. We need to have a daily dependence on the Lord's provision. And and he goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Well, again, this idea of forgiveness, we're talking about areas of relationship where there has been a fracture, where there's been a wrong, where there's been hurt, where there's been a wound, and there needs to be forgiveness that it needs to be expressed, but also received. And so I think that you could 
term that or kind of categorize that as any relationship need. And so, but if you look at these actual words of what Jesus was was getting at, is not only do we express a daily dependence on f- for the sustenance that we need in our daily bread, but also if you think about the relationships uh, that we have all around you, probably everyone listening right now could think of a resource need they have and could think of a relationship that's strained, that's hurting, that that needs to be repaired. And so, um, this is why it's so important. I mean, Jesus goes on to say so much more about this. The way in which we relate with one another is a direct uh, uh, reflection of the way in which we relate to God. Which when it talks about forgiveness, and we're not going to totally go there, but after this part, Jesus says in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, in one sense, this is not meant to be um, just a conditional statement that, you know, I can only get God's forgiveness if I forgive somebody else. And so I need to go forgive somebody else to then get God's forgiveness. Well, we have to first receive, we can't give to somebody else what we have not received. But he's essentially equating that if we are truly forgiven and we've received the gift in God's grace and love of the forgiveness of our sins, then how could we not express that to somebody else? You know, there's that statement of that adage, forgiven people, forgive people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but he's saying, how could, but here's the thing. <laughs> we all know forgiveness is hard. Relationships are difficult and they're messy and they're confusing and they're frustrating. And uh, um, things, generations can go by of grudges and hurt and wounds, but prayer has the power. Why? Because of who God is as our father in heaven, who is holy to actually break into our lives and our hearts to heal what's been hurt and the wounds that we have from others that have sinned against us, but then also for us to extend that same forgiveness um, and to receive that same forgiveness for those that have, that have sinned, sinned against us. And so, um, so this aspect of prayer, uh, again, kind of the first half of the, uh, the second part of the Lord's prayer of our neediness and, and, and the things that we are trusting him for. So forgive us this day, forgive us our debts. And then there's this final part, um, this rhythm of the Lord's prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. So in other words, Jesus moves us from the mess that's in here <laughs> inside of us to the mess that's out there. And uh, in saying that really it's, it's about recognizing the spiritual battle that's before us, but more importantly, acknowledging and, re- and having a faith and a trust in the spiritual resources that are within us. You know, I love the way Apostle John put it later on in 1 John 4, for greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so when he's saying, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us, um, you know, I, Daniel Henderson, the, my boss, and the, the president of strategic renewal jokingly says it deliver us from email. <laughs> uh, maybe one way, one translation, uh, deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one, the, from the, the difficulties and the snares and all the ways that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy to recognize that prayer is engaging in a spiritual battle. But we recognize that we go forth in our, in our day from a time of prayer. And real practically, what I like, if I'm praying from a passage of scripture, I'm, I'm going to pray here, specifically from here, how do I need the Lord's leadership in my life? What, where do I need his deliverance in my life today over to the distractions, over the temptations that I'll face, over the obstacles that will occur so that I can live from that place of victory that Jesus himself has purchased for us on the cross and actually bring that out into, into the everyday messy battlefield of the world around mm-hmm. us. Justin, I find myself when I pray the Lord's Prayer, 
I take a little tiny pause after and lead us. Hmm. Then I take a little pause. That's good. And lead us. Yeah. Not into temptation, <laughs> but deliver us from evil. Yes. I've, I've always grown up saying, and lead us not into temptation. And I, I always take a little pause after and lead us. Hmm. Not into temptation, but yeah. deliver us from evil. Yes. And, and I think the quirk. No, I think that's good because I mean, <laughs> there's a sense in <laughs> which Jesus is <laughs> Jesus fair. is saying something in the negative of what we're not wanting God to do, um, so that it's also inferring the positive what would come in its place. So if mm-hmm. we're not being led into temptation, we're actually you know we're wanting to be led into the way of life, yes. the path of righteousness, righteousness. right? Yes. And so, but deliver us from the evil or the evil one. And so I think, again, even even in this passage, we can see God is revealed to us as our father. He's in heaven. He's holy. He's a king. He has a will. He has a desires. He's a provider. He's a forgiver. He's also a leader. And he's a deliverer. All that from the Lord's prayer. And so I think if we, if we began our time of prayer, just acknowledging who God is from the short, the short, short section of scripture that Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Mm-hmm. This is how you ought to pray as my disciples. Uh, I think that would radically change uh, the way not only we engage with God in our individual time, but especially and specifically what this is teaching is the way that we pray in fellowship with other believers. And Justin, do you think this might be one of the most memorized passages of scripture in all of in all of the Bible? Yes. And it's intentional that way. I think it's it's this poetic language that, yeah. that Jesus gave and even the cadence of it. it, it and it's the, beautiful, isn't it's it? It's beautiful. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, you know, back in the, you know, when you have to wash your hands in the COVID days and they say, make sure to wash for 20 seconds, yeah. right? And you have to sing happy birthday. Yeah. Guess what else takes about 20 seconds to recite? Our Father. The Lord's Prayer. Yeah. So I make it a habit every time I wash my hands, I say the Lord's Prayer. That's but so that's, smart. But it reminds me then of that pattern of prayer um, that brings me, uh, refreshes my mind of who God is and leads me into the day. Thank you for this time of discussion, teaching, and just fellowship. It's been wonderful. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. 007 has been my guest. I gave him that nickname a while back, but his (laughs) real name is Justin Jepson. And if you missed any of today's show, especially this last hour, I would recommend you heading over um, and checking out this from the beginning. Well, the whole show has been great. So Dr. Glenn Pickering was the first hour, and then Justin this hour. Go to MyFaithRadio.com, check out the podcast. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.